educational purpose only. Yes, guys, welcome back. Welcome back to the Token Loud podcast. And today we got another episode for you. And of course, we're going to discuss everything dank, sticky, icky, gassy, and all that good stuff. Because today I got on some very special guests. I'm sure a lot of you would know them because we got on the GW Smoke Break TV fam. What's up, boys? How's it going? Yo, thanks for having us, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for having us on. We're excited to be on the show. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah, man. Most definitely, guys. So, t- guys, today's going to be a rocking episode. We got three of us on. I thought it was going to be two, but we got three of us. And you know that what they say, the more the merrier, man. And we got a lot of different stuff to talk about from, you know, life-changing moments to love for the plant to more stuff about the plant and even more stuff for the plant. So, guys, smash the friggin' like button for that because we're going to have a dope episode. But, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, kick it with us, you know. And how's everything going where you guys are kicking it at? You guys are in uh, Cali, right? Yeah, San Jose, California, man, the Bay Area, the South Bay. Uh, truly grateful, man. I'm grateful to be working here with Rolf, you know what I'm saying? This guy yeah, helps to keep on leveling up the show. As you see it, I mean, literally what you're looking at in terms of the chairs and the table, it's really special, man. And um, so just grateful, first and foremost, happy to be here and looking forward to another beautiful year of creating content and just uh, doing our best to elevate the game. Hell yeah, man. That is awesome. So you guys are out in uh, Cali and that's some some of that nice weather, man. So a lot of the cold frost that's been flying across the U.S. recently, you guys have not been uh, experiencing any of that, right? No, we're, we're lucky. We, we we escaped that. It was warm. He was, This guy was at the beach. I saw no, him. I saw him. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, last night, though, this guy said it was raining cats and dogs, you know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? So it, we've been getting some heavy rain. It, it's, it's, it's raining now, but uh, over Christmas, it was very nice. Yeah, this guy went to go to the beach. I was just wearing my, like, dress shirt. Like, I didn't even wear a jacket. You know, like, it was it was, it was was nice. We were, we were chilling. <laughs> I like that, man. You guys really uh, escaped to the, the worst of it, man. Because even out here in Colorado, it was like negative 25 degrees Celsius weather at one point. You know, I was uh, actually out at the DGC fam kicking it with them. And that's like an hour and a half drive away. And man, that snow hit. It was blinding snow. I literally was scared for my life. Dude, it was the scariest conditions I've ever driven in, period, man. <laughs> it was wild. Damn, bro. Yeah, holy shit. Like I was saying, the worst it gets is like some bad rain, some snow at the top of the mountains in the Bay Area. Um, but no, just grateful overall. And I'm glad you made it all right, man. Shit ain't no for joke. Real. New York's fucking suffering right now. Yeah, yeah for real. It's been wild. Like some of those videos I've seen, man, they're honestly pretty, pretty crazy, man. But uh introduce you guys this house, man. Just shout out you guys. You know, uh, we got both of you guys on, but tell us a little bit about uh, about you guys, man. Yeah, Rolf, go you for it. Go? Okay, I'll go. Um, so I'm Rolf. Um, I've been doing. I'm the videographer, you know, and uh, I joined the crew. I didn't start off with the crew. Um, you guys, Daniel had started doing this in April 2019, and then I joined. Not even joined. I just came on to film, help film uh, for the Emerald Cup in 2019, 
in Santa Sweet. Rosa. So then from there, um, you know, kept in touch and stuff like that, but didn't really do much. I just filmed that one, you know, that one trip and then, you know, um, kind of linked back up in 2020, you know, okay. to go up to some farms. You know, he was like, yeah, man, let's go. Let's go to some farms and go check them out. Let's check and out then, some of those farms, bro. Yeah, I was like, I've never been, you know, like, you know, I, I smoke weed and shit and I like all that stuff, but I've just, I've never been to like a weed farm or anything like that. And, wow. you know, it was middle of COVID. It was the middle of COVID. I didn't have much work either. So I was like, all right, I'm down. So that's how I got started in terms of like uh, GW. But uh, I've been doing video for, I mean, since I was like 18. Um, like in high school, I took all the classes in, you know, in school. Like I, it goes back to like middle school, honestly. Like my middle school had a film class, and we made like little commercials and shit. So like that's yeah. kind of like honestly where it started. But professionally, been doing it uh, since like 2016. So dope, man. Well, I, I've been making a, a few videos here and there, but uh, you sound like you've actually been, you know, living, breathing, eating, studying <laughs> the shit. You know, like. <laughs> Yeah, I was fortunate. I was very fortunate to uh, work at a studio out here in uh, uh, in, in the Bay Area, uh, in the Peninsula, and uh, just really honed my skills. And uh, you know, had like full time work, and just yeah, just really got to learn. You know, that was really the biggest thing. Dope, man. I got you. Now let's switch, swing it over uh, to Daniel, man. So Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. You know, uh... <laughs> He's got a longer story than me. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, man. No, thank you, man. Introduce yourself, bro. <laughs> no, thank you. My name is uh, Daniel Montero. I'm a first-generation American, born and raised in San Jose. And, uh, you know, I've been involved with the plant for quite some time, since I was 17, you know, slaying an herb and then uh, growing herb a few years after that. Um, so I've had a colorful career and I think that what makes, uh, this platform different GW smoke break is I, I think it's one of the few legacy owned, um, platforms or in terms of like legacy influence, making this historic transition. Um, and as far as, you know, a little bit more about myself, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a cannabis professional, um, an accomplished, uh, professional, um, I'm proud of the trajectory of my career, you know, having started before Prop 215, uh, you know, Prop, Prop 215 passed in 96, but you better believe that police departments, it took them a while to get with the program. I mean, yeah. even years and years afterwards. So uh, in 2014, I did Green Walrus Delivery. That's why it's GW Smoke Break TV. I did that for four years. Um, I'm the recipient of the 2016 Ganjie Award before the Ganjie program uh, was invented. Congrats, um, bro. I'm, I'm thank you, man. I'm really proud about that. And and I'm really proud about this transition to creating content, you know, because again, like Ralph said in April 2019, when I started, I knew that we can change the trajectory of the cannabis industry by showcasing cannabis culture, the wealth, which is fucking non-existent when it comes to many corporate uh present uh, corporate brands, you know, their presence is sterile. And I saw an opportunity and I went for it, you know what I'm saying? And it's been a blessing ever since, and, oh, and yeah. I'm learning to connect uh, my love, you know what I'm saying, for, for this industry, for this plant, for the game, you know, through this platform, and, and I'm just incredibly grateful, dude. Dope, man. I love hearing you guys' story, man. And one thing I got to say, you got the right man right next to you, because Ralph, you know, he's got the skills, you know, and if you're in the creation, the content creation biz, you know, uh, he, he got, he got the, the, the skills that help you go, man. But uh, before we actually get into GW Smoke uh, Smoke Break TV and all that, uh, and actually how you started it, uh, tell us a little bit about like you know just be, 
Prop 15. Like, you know, a lot of people who are, are tuned in right now may not know what the hell that is or what the hell that means. So just break it down for them, man. Yeah, Prop 215 was uh, the beginning of medical cannabis, you know, the, that step towards legalization that happened back in 1996. And it okay. ended in 2018 when Prop 64 came into play, which is for-profit legalized cannabis. And we're speaking uh, specifically California, just to, I think that might should be clear too. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. 100%. Uh, and so what we, what I like to, t- uh, how I like to describe and put it in terms of you know, this transition is a bait and switch by the California government, especially the governor, Gavin Newsom himself, because I was in the same vicinity when he visited a handful of places in Humboldt County when they were studying how to implement um, legalization in California. And it was a big lie. And in Prop 215, you saw a lot of flexibility to make money, to proliferate, to grow the size of your operation, to enjoy extra money in your pocket. And I think the government is showing us a classic play in their playbook and how they really try to be the overarching force, this dominating force to play that game of chess to where at the end of this game, they want to take away all the chips, which means assets, financial assets, land, all this shit. And it's no joke and it's playing out in real time. However, um, what I, okay, so to take a step back, what, I, what I'm saying is Prop 215 was a beautiful era. And we're going to go back to that era because I, well, when you have this flexibility and extra income, you can spend money on hosting events and, and, and creating like spaces for music and entertainment and cultural expression. And I think that that's what everybody remembers, uh, you know, being able to get out and enjoy yourself and share these good vibes. And now with Proposition 64, it's been such this bullshit, loudmouth scandal of an onset of an industry. History is going to have a lot of fun, I've been saying, remembering this time. <laughs> and truly, now that all the hype is settling down, what stands are what I like to call cultural icons of the industry. And those that have never sold out, never you know, went the other way. And truly, at, at, at the end of the day, there's an incredible love for, for the plant and, and for community. So um, I know you asked me about Prop 215, and I kind of went went off on a tangent. No, you're but, fine. <laughs> but but uh, no, man, it's it's a beautiful thing, you know, to be able to be alive and to be able to participate in this transition. You know, the the idea is to kill us off and take us out the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think what will also go down in the history books is the resiliency, the creativity, the willpower. Um, so yeah, Matt, you know, uh, please. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I got you, bro. I got you 100%. And what I can get from this is, man, is that, you know, you're super passionate, man. And you've actually had a, a lot of experience when it comes to, you know, just not just the law, but like the plan itself. So, uh, both of you guys, this, I'm throwing this out to both of you guys, man. Like what is you guys' first experience when it comes to like, you know, smoking weed? Ah, shit. Well, for me, it was, uh, definitely in high school. Um, <laughs> I definitely grew up in a house. I wouldn't say it was conservative or at all, but they for sure in terms of like did not want their kid to be doing drugs. Yeah. Uh, so I felt like a, a like a, a need to like rebel against that, I guess, or something like that. But, they don't uh, want me doing it. I got to do it, bro. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so it's like um, so that's kind of like I started in high school, you know, just as any other, you know, high, regular high school kid out here in America, you know, just. You find a connect, probably like, you know, an older, like a senior or something like that, that's like got to connect or I don't know, just you find someone older that has a connect and that's how you get weed and you hear these weird names and like you don't really think much of it. 
And I never really thought much of it until I started, you know, doing this work, you know, um, even after like high school, like I would be smoking, you know, uh, I'm 30 now. So like, you know, I've been smoking throughout my whole 20s, but you're 29, Ralph. Well, I'm about to be 30. So. <laughs> um, but, you know, just like as a high schooler and, and just, or just as a not even that um, as someone I was just a, I consumed cannabis all the time, but I just never really thought about anything else of it, like never really knew about terpene profiles or just like uh, uh regenerative farming for it you know or where it's coming from right like that kind of stuff like all i know is like i got a dealer i got a guy that's pretty consistent and that's who i get it from you know? i like, like to that. smoke the shit i get lit <laughs> yeah and it's like, like you know it took me a while to get like a find a guy that has like like a like the plug like all the time consistently you know like that yeah. like that was always like the main problem or something but yeah no i'm, I'm sort of segueing a bit man but like yeah back in the day that was probably one of the, the the hardest things to do you know find a consistent reliable plug man and uh how difficult was that you know back in those days when you were doing that you know when like in the, the era of prop 215 and all this stuff like was it was it difficult when you're in high school, for sure, it's very hard. But actually, once we all graduated and once we all turned 18, we realized that, oh, we can hit up the fucking medicinal, the the, the, the cannabis, the, the, the dispensaries. Yeah. You know, all we got to do is go to that fake doctor, not fake doctor, but <laughs> the retired doctor that is just, you know, signing fucking his name for you the to Dr. get a book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we just did. Like, yeah, I remember as soon as we turned 18, that's yeah. Yeah. We start going to the clubs wasn't as expensive it was still expensive you know taxes were still high but i feel like it's way more expensive now but uh, for real i feel like because we would we would go to the we would go to the They're just normal taxes during 215 there was you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. if anything yeah i think sometimes there was no taxes if i remember correctly the yeah. city still had their own for sure but anyway it what it seemed affordable like it, you could still go down there i'll clarify what roth is saying basically yeah <laughs> It's just my perspective as just a consumer, like you know. So. Yeah, I got you, Daniel. Let him rip, man. What's your first experience right? oh, yeah. when it came? Oh to yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, man. Uh, I was uh, raised in a private school, and I went to Bolivia for two years in high school, uh, my sophomore and junior year. So that was the summer of '95. I or the late summer, I moved over to Bolivia, and so I came back for the summer of '96. And that summer, I uh, was hanging out at my friend's house, spent the night. It was a party. And uh, smoked weed out of a red plastic bong. He called it the Red Devil. <laughs> and uh, I remember not feeling so high. At least I remember thinking to myself, no, I didn't even get that high, you know. But that was the beginning of a love relationship, man. <coughs> I would say that I was really stressed out as a kid. So, you know, to smoke herb, I felt relieved. I felt good. And I went back to Bolivia smoking more and more and more in my senior year in high school. I came back and by that time I was already selling weed because I realized I couldn't really afford it. You know, I'd be buying a twomp every day, a 20 shot every day, 40 shot, et cetera. And like Rolf was saying, just to clarify, you know, my experience was a little bit different because right off the bat, I started slanging it and I made friends with my dealer, which happened to be like a neighborhood dealer, kind of like on the street end of things. And, you know, this guy's dad was a hell's angel. And so out of the whole South side of San Jose, there's literally a handful of professional dealers, like motherfuckers that were young fucking dealers. You know what I'm saying? Like, no doubt about it. Not part-time, no fucking da 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 Like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> so um, I happened, I happened to, 
to make friends with him and he taught me, you know, to to slang and shit, you know, how many eighths in an ounce. And, you know, like Roth saying, eventually I did get a, a, a card. I didn't have a card when I got busted in 2000, 2001 for possession over an ounce. I get a medical card. But you see, the only reason I was going to dispensaries and I would mainly go to one in Santa Cruz because I'd be able to I would buy herb to flip it. That's the only reason I herb to flip oh. it. And so I remember ha having rounded off numbers. You pay 200 bucks for a zip, et cetera. And the cool thing is, is at the time, and because it wasn't so monitored, the businesses themselves had more flexibility on how to report their taxes and this okay. and that. So as you can imagine, you know, they're doing their thing. So uh, <laughs> now for sure, the taxes are way high. The government's getting their piece. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I was growing herb around 2001, maybe 2002. Um, 2002, I would say, is the year. And yeah. Um, yeah, man, fucking nonetheless, though, it's just uh, it's beautiful to reflect on that first time as a kid, man. We we're just kids. Yeah, dude. Wow. Like it sounds sounds uh, pretty intense, man. It seems like, you know, you were actually had the love for the plant and, you know, started to, you know, realize like I'm just smoking so much. So I got to, you know, figure out a way to sustain my habits and shit, you know, something that I found myself doing as well, dude. So um, how was it, you know? transition into you know hustling in the in the gray area so to speak back in those days the gray market oh it's definitely the black market you know we say traditional we say gray but you I know like, i like traditional you know <laughs> traditional I, I would say market. like, like even cats like you know i think at the end of the day it should be like surfers that say that determine like surfer what's what's cool or what's what the terminology or the slang is what's appropriate not appropriate so to speak in like surf culture and many times what i want to say right now my brother is I feel like words like cannabis, um, and let's see if I can find another example. Instead of marijuana, you know, um, to say strand instead instead of strain, yeah. to want to take out indica and sativa and replace it with terpene profiles, and and I, I would say okay, I like the development going in that direction. However, what I will say is that when we think about colonialism, and we think about how to eradicate somebody, the first thing is to fucking take out the language. You know what I'm saying? So. Mm. Um, what I'll say is like, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody by black market. And those of us that are that, and everybody that's been in the game will be like, yeah, black market. It doesn't mean it's no racial thing. It's just the way it's fucking. It's like you would say the black market for TVs or, yeah. or whatever yeah, the yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyways, so what I'm saying is that that was my experience from a young age, man. And I would say that at the time, you know, gangsterism was being glorified and, <clears throat> You know, I was really, I was feeling rebellious as fuck. I was angry. I wasn't happy at home. So as soon as I turned 18, I fucking jumped out of my house, dude. It really hurt my family's feelings for sure, dude. And at that time, I remember, like, I just wanted to start kind of thugging it out, like fucking hanging out with the thugs and fucking, um, you know, fucking slanging. And that's what I'm saying. I think my experience is a little different because, yeah, I was slanging to some kids in high school, but by and large, I was slanging to the fucking graffiti writers the fucking the tag the guys are in the tagging crews fucking some gang members fucking street motherfuckers like the fucking alcoholics the fucking the the fucking ones that are strung out on dope Shit. like you know all that that whole element you know what i'm saying the whole street yeah. side of things and uh fucking i'm i'm grateful for that experience at the same time though it's true what they say you know what i mean like you know, keep your friends not keep your friends close but your enemies closer but like watch the homies watch the homies and 
keep it's, good company, you know. Well, it's you can't keep good company when you're existing at that level of the game, dude. Yeah. It's just like keep it, better company. Sorry, you keep your distance <laughs> is what what I learned to fucking do, you know. But just to, to, to tell you the truth, man, like I think I'm I've been really lucky, and I think that uh, how can I how can I say this? I think that the the black market, the days of the black market, and the things that were experienced and done, and with the war on drugs put us through will become, you know, legendary stories because it's not just my own. Like, I'm just one operator out of many, you know. Um, and me personally, I would say that I fucking committed myself to a heavy degree, you know. And I, I've had the fortune, like, kind of destiny, bro, like, to meet somebody like Kevin Jodry young on and, and have him teach you how to grow weed and then have somebody like Kenny who happened to be, like, a professional young fucking dealer who at the time had a I, – I moved out with him, right? He's my first roommate. We were friends for a while really a uh, strong headed kind of guy. And eventually we went in on a job and, and fucking the, the hard headedness. And I was more proficient with growing at the time I was growing more, definitely on a larger scale, definitely growing more in terms of like experience. And he was insisting on doing things his way. And I just, so that's what ended our friendship, unfortunately. But, um, what am I getting at is, uh, is, uh, kind of, I kind of got distracted, you know, but, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I guess, I guess for me, it's like, um, I've been really lucky. You know what I'm saying? That's what I was getting at in terms of like the people that I've met and the learning that I've been able to, 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 to do to further my career. And, uh, even having a near death experience in 2016, you know, I've been to jail a couple of times, unfortunately. Um, but I would say that if you talk to operators that are heavy in the game and have developed a relationship with a plant, they will say, and I've heard it from multiple people like Swami or Frenchy Cannoli has said this, you know, that when he's high on hash, he feels invincible. Yeah. And he was saying in different ways, like he feels the, the protection of the goddess around him. You know, Bushman Jay in South Africa, he says like, yeah, Brew, when you honor the goddess, you know, she's there to protect you. And it sounds like a fantasy, a fairy tale, Lord of the Rings shit. But I truly believe that, you know, I'm here today sharing this with you for a profound reason. And, um, like I, I'm really grateful to be able to do this because I think it's the opposite of what I experienced committing myself to the game to where I'm only have the only social interactions I'm having really <laughs> are with people that I'm selling weed to and they don't really want to be your friend. They just want to fucking buy weed. Yeah. And then the homies that I'm hanging out with, it's like they're like I was telling Rolf, you know, or telling Sharon with you guys, keep your distance. You learn to hang, stay away from the violent guys, you know, especially when they drink. Just be around more positive people, you know, like, for well, sure. I mean, you're definitely doing a, you know, you've definitely surrounded yourself with way more positive people I, from when I've known you. you know? Well, it took me a kind of a young lifetime to figure that one out. Cause again, I moved out when I was 18 and then yeah, no, no, no. for a stretch of, even when I met Gigi, you know, that was in 2000, <laughs> what is it? What's 2022? Yes. So yeah, fucking like 14 years time, ago. Huh? So 2007. Shit. From what you've told me, from the things you've told me, you're definitely a more positive and and, and compassionate well, person for sure. oh yeah i've changed but let's not get it twisted man fucking i've been in the game fucking fucking oh, yeah. figuring this shit out fucking uh, doing my thing it's a good thing though this shit didn't it. stop in 09 <laughs> it didn't stop in 2012 or 2016 and it's not stopping now either you know we're doing this shit now which is an evolution of the game of itself so it's dope you know what i'm saying we're slaying content. oh yeah hell yeah man i love that dude uh we're slaying content i like that one and yeah. then I did my fair share of hustling as well, dude, but it sounds like, you know, you you were uh, living a completely different life, you know, a different vibe, especially being out there in Cali, flipping those flowers, you know, to different classes of people, you know, homies that are tagging and, and maybe even bagging too, you know, who knows, bro. But uh, at the end of the day, dude, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, man, is that a lot of, a lot of 
experiences that you would have gone through, they would have taught you, they would have built you into the person you are right now, man. So, uh, if, if there's anyone listening right now, you know, who's hustling hard, you know, trying to, uh, you know, provide for their family and shit, but maybe just going about it the wrong way. You know, I know I heard you mention, um, you know, sep- surround yourself with the right people. Anything else you would tell them? Any, any other words of advice, dude? Oh, I'll tell you some some great words of advice, man. I would say that, you know, know that it's never worth it to mix violence with business. You know what I'm saying? No matter what the situation, it's always best to keep that as separate as possible, as much as possible, because it's never the same. And, um, you know, that's first and foremost. And uh, if you're really fucking out there hustling, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't want to sound like sound like the same shit, like loose lips sink ships. <laughs> but I would say that. Now's the time. Now's the time to say to 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 really look at yourself in the mirror and be like, fuck, you really been trapping. You really pride yourself on your fucking hustle. You're a sharp motherfucker. Well, check this out, dude. You can go ahead and further your hustle and evolve with the industry, you know, and keep and keep your reputation intact. Not sell out to nobody. Keep keep your authenticity alive and, and not sacrifice anything in that regard. Like so many. So. So again, I keep on going back to hip hop in many ways, and I feel that hip hop, hip hop mainstream has lost its its rhythm and soul for for so many reasons. That are another conversation, but yeah. we get the idea. That's where cannabis is headed, and now is the time to um, just really be proud of that hustle, and, and and really make the effort to find a way to make it work. Because because I'll tell you what, you know, um, you don't have to be like me to have a GW smoke break. You have to be able to be a team player to have a guy like Rolf by your side. That's something that Rolf taught me to be because I'm used to being like a, a solo motherfucker. Yeah. As you can imagine, nobody knows, nobody would know my business except for like less than a handful of homies, my close homies, which I, they're still my friends. But uh, my word of advice to anybody that's really hustling right now is this. If you're heavy in the game, man, then all this tax money is going into enforcement and the, the in this next, the rest of the decade. And these fools are going to have fun. They're going to have so much fun like being lazy, going coming into work late, the fucking law enforcement, and they're gonna push a button on their computer, and it's gonna pull all the shit from their, your cell phone, all your all your locations, all your shit. And so I would say, like, just just fucking um, be smart about your shit, and it's to make a transition is beautiful. Like all the greatest outlaws, fucking, you know. I guess you could see it in two ways. Some of them went out in a blaze of glory. You know, I guess you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And that's one thing that I can say that I'm proud that I never dipped into that, fortunately. And even even thinking about it can be enough, can be bad enough. So watch what you think, too. But ultimately, like, you know, I think that some of the greatest outlaws were able to, like, live their lives out and make that transition. And and what I'll say is this, bro. This is the last thing I'll say to that is that what I can say is my life as an outlaw, my life as a as a young criminal somebody who wanted to be a criminal and hang out with criminals and, and be a good criminal and a professional criminal when I was a teenager. Um, cause I was so unhappy on the inside. I was so angry, you know what I'm saying? And, and fucking, I would say that the best advice that I could give is that no matter how angry you are, no matter what the fuck you went through, you know, no matter how much you're pulling back on a bottle, like I, your heart is able to find fucking love again and self-love yeah. and self-respect because I didn't love myself, man. So I put myself in dangerous situations, hanging out with dangerous people and fucking just just fucking fuck. It. OK, yeah, I'm going to go for it. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you feel me, though, because that, that's the, the that's the root of this plan is, is love, man. And oh, yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, my bad if I kind of, well, nah, I, I shouldn't say my bad, but I'll just say like, love is the answer, dude. Yeah. Coming from somebody that knows both sides. Cause you, you push, you push that fucking angry shit, that criminal shit too hard. That's what, that's what psychopaths are. dude. you go to yeah. that side of things? You don't feel no, you don't feel nothing. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Feel no remorse, no regret. That's what a hardened motherfucker is, is in many ways in different ways. So yeah, man, it's like it's a stark difference, and I'm much happier now, bro. I'm much happier now. This is the way. This is the I way. Like this, is the like way. this is the that's, way. <laughs> that's big, man. That's real big. So, uh, Rogue, you would have seen my homie, man. You would have seen him, you know, transition through all these phases and shit, man. And what was that like, you know, seeing him, uh, you know, transitioning, you know, becoming a better person, not just for anyone else, but, you know, really just for himself, you know, as he mentioned, finding that self-love. Can you ask? Oh, well, are you saying that to me? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Um. Well, yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I mean, uh, I didn't know Danny back in the day, like, you know. Um, so how long now you you uh, you been kicking it with him? How long now you know? That's him? the thing. I, we met, you know, in 2019, basically. Okay, you know? I so got you. Since I've met Danny, he's uh, from, you know, always positive vibes, you know, not. Yeah. You know, if, if we true. have uh, any issues to resolve, we can resolve them, anything like that. I'm just saying, like, uh, you've told me stories of back in the day, you know, like, uh, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> someone when it's like basically just like illegal, you know, like just yeah, straight up, true. you know, like we said, the the black market, the traditional market. Yeah. Uh, so I got you. I, got um, you. I, I know. I just thought you you probably knew him uh, a little bit longer, man, because you know you got that. You sort of got that real rapport, man. And one oh, thing I would say is that good vibes pours out of him, man. Literally. Well, for sure, for sure, we got a good uh, good rapport because I mean, I come, we we do the the lives every Monday, so yeah, you know, it's not just the lives. We we like, you know, we eat lunch beforehand, we talk, we we chat, and yeah, you know, we've traveled a lot too. You know, you 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 when you travel with people, you you really know, get to know someone, you know, and 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 get the feeling like, oh, okay, you can like kind of trust someone. So I, I think that's you. that's the best way to get to know anyone and get build good rapport and have good uh, relationships is nice. so you were out of the uh, emerald cup as well you were a video videoing out there as well no man i i don't i i was completely not in the game of weed at all like prior to 2019 like at all no no, no. what did you ask him if he was at the cup this year yeah at the cup this year oh if i was at the cup this year sorry yes yes, yes. i thought you said if i was filming at the cup we wouldn't have been there without him my bro no no, no. i thought you, i thought you said if i had been filming at the cup beforehand before meeting you uh, nah, that's nah. what i thought you meant nah, sorry this year because i was out there uh this we year as well so yeah I, we were I filming we had a spot at, well we had a spot at the redwood root right in front of the redwood roots uh booth yeah uh you know how they set up those kind of lounges lounges yeah we got there early know. enough where we just kind of were like we had all our equipment and we just like we're like, well, we're just gonna set up shop right here. So we were just like chilling like that. And um yeah, so like um that we were definitely here the uh this year. Uh we were actually sponsored by uh, AVD, which is a uh uh vapor uh they 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 advanced vapor devices yes they make the vapor products and stuff uh, there you go see there we are <laughs> yeah man i was out there i seen you guys with all the high-tech video equipment and everything yeah <laughs> yeah we rented out some equipment uh i also got my own stuff but yeah we we, we, we were doing it up um yeah no so we were definitely we had we we, we felt like we were definitely had a presence at this year's emerald cup not just because of all our big equipment but you know uh we the love that we received was definitely um, really dope. You know, that's what it's all about, man. That's yeah. literally what it's all about. Just hearing you guys, you know, just speak so freely now, man. It's it's fucking refreshing, dude. And having come from the the days of the the black market, traditional market, gray market, whatever the hell you want to call it, <laughs> old school days, bro. 
You know, right. and uh, you mentioned Daniel, you got you know getting busted a couple times as well. You know, man, you wanna you wanna touch on that? You know, if if that's something uh, that you want to touch on. <clears throat> yeah, of course, man. It's all good. So back in two thousand and one, I'm I'm pretty sure is when it was. <laughs> two thousand one, I was in third grade. Just to let y'all know. So <laughs> yeah, I was twenty years old, know. man. I, I, my birthday's in October, so I was turning twenty one that year. I got busted. I got pulled over driving an 85 Buick Riviera on like, it's looking like a low rider on some small wire wheels. And I was in Los Gatos and fucking, I ran a stop sign. I ran a red light and uh, I actually was going to run it. <clears throat> I was already in the crosswalk and I hit my brakes hard because I seen the cop. So he pulls my ass yeah. over, he searches my car in the thermos is nine eighths, nine fucking eighths, get arrested. Jesus. I got to do two months in jail that year. I don't want to tell my mom I got busted. So I tell her that I go to fucking Germany and fucking I do a three-way call from jail to a friend in San Diego. My mom was like, hmm, I was wondering why he's saying he's, he's in Germany, but the, the area code's like San Diego. <clears throat> That's so bad, bro. I, was in, I was in jail for her birthday, you know, July 31st. So at the same time, I didn't want her to fucking worry and shit and you know, uh, so I'll never forget that part of it. But that summer, um, that was one thing, you know, and uh, get back out. I'm on probation. <clears throat> Go right back to slang. And my homies were slanging for me while I was in jail, as a matter of fact. You know, it's pretty cool. Shit. <laughs> oh, I'm super proud, dude. Super proud of that so shit. Proud. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's real talk. And then fucking in 2009, I was growing uh commercial style fucking in a house on the east side in evergreen a nice neighborhood though commercial style but in a house <laughs> <laughs> i like that bro you, you you doing it intense bro i like it Go so on, we got bro. we got plenty of square footage <laughs> well, yeah i turned out the master bedroom for sure and uh i believe i had the front so did bedroom you, like, rent this house like how yeah did of course you acquire this house you rented it i rented it yeah yeah okay. what i didn't know is that the neighbor was the sister of the landlord Oh, shit. So were you living in the house as well? Or were you only like going in there, you know, to check up on the op and head out? <laughs> uh, well, in I've lived at all the ops that I've had. And so, yes, I was living at this one for sure. Uh, okay, I got you. <laughs> didn't you have oh, one that was just that was just a house that was just only at, like operate? Like, like you didn't live there at all? Well, I would spend the nights there and I would you like, try to make it seem like you lived there. Well, I would try to make it seem to Ross point like I had a normal nine to five job and I was existing in that manner from that house. So what yeah. I would do is I would leave around nine in the morning with work clothes on, like yeah. I'm going to a fucking <laughs> office job and I would go to my homie's house on the south side off Monterey Road. I'd literally get to his place because I had two spots at the time. And that was mainly it was a, the biggest girl I had was at that house, a 14 lighter. And I would change into my normal clothes, put on some Jordans, what, you know what I'm saying, and fucking yeah. go slang for the day. And then come back like around five with the office clothes and fucking go. And then I'd go handle the grow. You know, right, I'd, then right. I'd, yeah, yeah. what a fucking legend, bro, man. I love this guy. <laughs> it makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's like, he's literally thought of everything, man. I'm going to head out with my work clothes on. Fuck that. Kick off the yeah. Jordans and uh, we going to hustle, man. <laughs> but then you got busted in the house, though. Well, no, I didn't get busted in that house. I got wow. busted in the house that I had in 2009. And my ex-wife, who had just been dating me for a couple of years at that time, I felt really bad because, you know, when the house got raided, they arrested me down the street. I had eight or nine lights in the master bedroom. And I'm pretty sure I had the front 
both the master best bedroom and an additional room lit up. Uh, so that includes a, a vegging area and so Shit. forth. And yeah. fucking, um, I'm trying to remember as best as I can. And so they arrested me right down the street. It's by Evergreen Valley College. And uh, unfortunately, cops knock the, you know, they love to knock on the door and then literally they give you like a second and a half yeah. <laughs> or two seconds. They're like, one, two, three. And then, okay, cool. Nobody answered. Boom, we're knocking down your door. One, they love to do that shit. One. <laughs> yeah, dude. You don't so even get to two. <laughs> look at this nice door. Wouldn't it be a shame if someone fucking just smashed it to pieces? <laughs> well, they smash the fucking where the, the deadbolt is and yeah, all that. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it just forces it open, breaks it open. And then they come in with their guns out. So my my yeah. ex wife was is continues to be in education and she doesn't come from <clears throat> the game you could say which kind of like you may be a little more conditioned for you know what you're getting yeah. into and and so forth so in her case that wasn't the case and like yeah it was definitely a traumatizing experience yeah. and what I want to share in that regard is you know I had to do another summer in jail I was lucky in that the attorney that I managed to get through a mutual friend we ended up having a disagreement about and I got, always got to remember. Like what he did for me was refer me to this lawyer, Victor Vertner, man, represented the Hells Angels when uh, the sheriffs uh, were investigating a murder that happened at the Pink Poodle, which is a strip club that they that they own, you know, like word on the street. I don't it's not necessarily on paper. Right. But fucking uh, there was an incident that happened in the bathroom there. And during their investigation, they raided the homes of some of these guys and they shot some of their dogs. And Vic Verkner helped them win their the case against when they sued the sheriff's department, you know what I'm saying? So by that stroke of luck, <clears throat> I fucking was able to get the same attorney. And I'll tell you, bro, fucking might be to my first case in the early two thousands. I hired a fucking Latino, uh, <clears throat> a Latino attorney. And, uh, it's nothing against Latinos. I'm Latino. What I'll say is that we're in America. And, uh, if we're in Mexico or Bolivia or El Salvador, more than likely the motherfucker that's going to be connected with the system yeah is is a latino cat you know yeah so uh, -oh. uh my dog's in here it's okay Optimus. It's okay. Or, oh. he's gonna want to come back in it's okay Optimus. uh and so and so victor Bergner, i guess it, i should make it a racial thing but uh <laughs> it's not no, a racial dog he wants to get he's in, just, he just he just was not skilled well, well he, he got no respect he, in was the no, he was no he wasn't connected he was you got no respect. He was a new. Like I, I literally was, was like, I was 20 years old, but I'm 20, 21. But I remember fucking he got punked in the courtroom. He got no respect. Whereas yeah. Victor Verner came in and motherfuckers were like, they showed him so much respect. Dude, it was so fucking cool and it didn't cost an arm and a leg. And I did depend on my dad to help cover that cost. And when you're in jail, man, you got to be able to cover your bills or get shit fucking taken from you. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like your spot, all that shit. So uh, <clears throat> I got to drink more water. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, dude. But, uh, what I'm getting to is, uh, yeah, my brushes with the law um, were definitely experiences, and I learned a lot while I was in jail. Um, but also, like I said, just coming from that street side of things in terms of when I jumped into the game, because I went to a private school my whole life, and I'm grateful for having that as a background, because yeah. a lot of the guys I, were hanging out, I was hanging out with just came from some fucking, mm. like, you know, they just don't know any different. They really just don't know any different. Yeah. Some gnarly backgrounds, but I heard you mention like Hell's Angels at least fifteen times already for the show. So you know, it seems that uh, you're you're interacting with uh, some some serious uh, crowds out there, dude. Which I think is uh, pretty fucking dope, you know. And being able to segue and experience that because I myself, you know, I've been like in a 
uh, fucking cell in Trinidad and Tobago. And it's not a nice experience, man. It feels fucking scary. It feels pretty fucking whack. And you, you were actually in jail, you know, and running your business from, from jail, man. So, uh, that's pretty fucking crazy and dope, man. But, um, what I did want to say, dude, dude, is, um, what did, what, what, what was it like, you know, doing, doing that, running it from jail, you know, was it like, uh, and, and just the fact that you also, you know, like, how, how do I say it, man? You wrote, you were able to not tell your moms, you know, explain to her you know, and be like, I'm, I'm actually out in Germany and shit. That shit just blows my fucking mind, bro. Like everything just blows my mind, dude. I don't even know where to start, bro. But man, honestly, you just sound like you got so many stories, dude. And, it doesn't uh, end there, bro. I got a better one for you. But so, okay. I'm glad that I got away with telling my mom that because the main thing that I had in my interest is not to make her worry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially. Did she ever find out? Uh, way after the fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. way yeah, after yeah, the fact, yeah, like okay. eight eight years later or something yeah. more, you know. <laughs> wow. uh, but you can imagine, as my mom being an overprotective mother, and I'm her oldest child, like You're and, young. you know, and going to jail, being a first generation American, she's from Chile. Yeah. I was young, like Ralph says, and you yeah. see all the movies and shit, so she's thinking the worst. And uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, that was one thing. And then, as far as uh, yeah, selling an herb while I was in jail, I can. I can say that is something that was talked about ahead of time. And so I basically just let uh, some of my people know as best as I could. But I had a pager at the time, I believe, or maybe it was just my cell phone. Uh, but I gave it to my buddy and he, he would just answer the phone, explain the situation and be like, I'm just going to take care of shit while he's in there. And then the funny thing is, is he would get so nervous because I, I would talk in code while I was in jail when I would talk to him on the phone. <laughs> so... I would say shit. I can't remember the exact language, language, but he would get fucking kind of. He would get uncomfortable, and uh, you know, it was all good though. It was all fuck. The one thing though, a couple things I'll share with you. So I was hanging around with fucking criminals, right? So my one criminal fucking homie Kenny, the guy I moved out with, he happened to uh, start this chick. He also worked at a Verizon like cell phone okay. kind of spot, you know, yeah. in his fucking car stereos and shit. So. Natalie go Natalie was uh no last names. Oh yeah. <laughs> you almost Nat- dropped the whole government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, this the secretary that he worked with, they started dating and shit. And again, she didn't come from the game. So ultimately, when you're a committed operator, fucking yeah. it causes problems in relationships, you know what I'm saying? Especially yeah. if that person doesn't come from that, is an understanding of that. And so uh in his case, like it caused problems and he decides to move his motherfucking ass into my spot while I'm in jail. And uh, fucking he decides to start growing weed in the closet, too, like with a stupid ass fucking um, just like a light, Garage like a normal, light. like a normal, not even like an office light. When you go to office and you see those tubes in the. <laughs> the long, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, robes. yeah, a couple of those in the closet. And he's like, don't trip, bro. When I was growing up, my brother was in and out of prison as long as I got a lock on my door. If they're going to search your house because you're on probation, they won't search my spot because I got a lock on the door. Don't trip. I'm like, you motherfucker. This guy's got like a Porsche 944, like red. Uh, and he had, I think at the time, he had some other kind of ride, dude. But that's this, we lived in Los Gatos, man. We're white affluent mainly. So we stuck out. Yeah, can you stand out anymore with that wet red Porsche, dude? Like, <laughs> oh, dude. So now we're living together, and I'm still slinging out of that spot after I get out of jail. You know what I'm saying? And I did get pulled over, uh, walking by the officer that arrested me, and he wanted to search me. He's like suspicious of my ass, but I was ready for that, dude. And I'm gonna still tell you something else that happened in jail. 
<clears throat> but how was I ready for that? Because I figured I'm like, dude, if I'm that motherfucking cop uh, and he sees that I'm wearing like minimal clothing, what does that mean? I'm not going to go out fucking streaking. It means that when you go out jogging or you're running, you wear kind of like those, you know, kind of swim yeah. short kind of shorts, you know, like thin kind of shorts. And then you're wearing socks and tennis shoes and a T-shirt, right? So it's not like you're wearing a jacket and jeans and pockets to search and all this shit. <clears throat> And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to keep hustling. Fuck these motherfuckers. I don't give a shit. So how am I going to get away with it? You know? So I figured, hmm, I had a vacuum sealer at the time. And I'm like, if I vacuum seal every bag, this was on a daily basis, by the way. You know, if I'm going to vacuum, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to meet him in downtown. It's within like a 10 minute walking distance. Downtown Los Gas, where there's tons of spots to fucking meet somebody real quick. But I'm like, if I vacuum seal it and I find a way to hide it on my body, <clears throat> I'm going to be cool, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, how do I do this? How do I do this? Well, I said, okay, look, first thing is vacuum seal. What's the second step? How do I put it on my body to where, like, even if they do search me, it's not going to show? So it's like, okay, I got to wear tidy whities. Yeah. I got to fucking. <laughs> sure. And then I got to fucking. Um, <laughs> did, I, did I have tidy whities? I'm not sure if I did, bro, because what I did is I took a. You know what the for case. The, for the sake of story, let's say you did. <laughs> well, no, I'm not sure because. Why would I do that if, if what I did do for sure was I had the cover of when you buy a new pair of sunglasses comes in that cloth cover. Yeah. So I'd put that the the vacuum seal eighth in there and I'd fucking kind of zip it, uh, zip it. So it kind of con contracted a little bit. And then I would fucking uh, tie it to the, the drawstring of my shorts. OK. So it'd kind of be, I guess, chilling like on my leg and shit, you know. Yeah. Um, but I guess maybe I did have tidy whities too, but <laughs> Soccer so anyways, anyways, I want to imagine tidy whities. <laughs> one day, one day walking back, dude, walking back, this motherfucker uh searched me, you know, and it was all good anyways, you know what I'm saying? I just had some money in my pocket. But I mean, I'm saying the cop, the cop happened to see me walking back home cuz I still lived in the same spot where I got busted. And uh it was all good though, you know. So that yeah, that lasted for a while. <clears throat> but in jail though, man, I ran into somebody that was selling weed to and he had weed for sale in jail. In jail, yeah. In jail, in yeah. Jail. And so he was like, "Hey, you want to hook up some weed?" And so at that time, because I didn't tell my mom, like I had maybe forty bucks for commissary, so I bought some headphones. I maybe had sixty bucks. I remember buying headphones and had a little bit of extra money for food <laughs> while I uh, while I was there. But then that ran out so fast, and I ended up going with a fork. And I knew somebody else that I knew from the South Side that was in jail, and he would help. He would hook me up with like a forkful here, a forkful there. And I, I remember uh, I lost weight for sure while I was in there. Shitty food, man. But normally if you got money on your books, you can buy like extra commissary and shit, which was the case the second time around. But the first time around was not. So what am I getting to is like, hmm, how can I hustle while I'm in here and come up? You know what I'm saying? And I was thinking I was going to try to figure this out, figure that out. Because because this guy was being cool with me because I always had chronic and I, and I fucking always was fair priced and proper and professional normally it's eight items for a joint at that time in county jail in yeah. san Jose, in santa clara county <clears throat> so it's like eight top ramens eight items right so he was offering me two joints for eight items so i was able to get cats that was the hook that i was like fuck it i'm just gonna i'm just gonna get two joints i'm gonna materialize it and and smoke and uh it's a funny thing because yeah i was able to get those items together and I went to go make that deal happen. And I'm the one who went to go fucking get those joints. And I felt so paranoid going back to the barracks and sitting on the toilet and pulling all that shit out and being like, dude, what am I doing? This is fucking ridiculous. Wow. And that's when I seen the dude light the fucking joint with uh, 
a Frito bag and putting it in the electrical outlet and some crazy shit. Bro, this is so <laughs> fucking wild, dude. Like, honestly, I think this is a token law podcast first, man. So, guys, smash the like button for fucking that. Because some of this shit is fucking off the chain, man. 100%. I'm loving these stories, dude. And, like, the only time, like, I, I seen some of the shit or heard people talk about some of the shit is, like, when you're actually, you know, looking at it on a... Uh, 60 days in or whatever you know and they're like you know yeah, yeah you go in there and you gotta you know build up your commissary and shit and that's how you know once you got all the commissary you can hustle you can trade shit you can borrow you gotta get the shank all that shit bro so uh that's fucking <laughs> wild bro and and uh <laughs> props to you on going in there and getting out man you know big ups to you on that bro well no thank you just to finish the story real quick though man i was the most sure. paranoid after smoke i took two trips. i was like dude i can't do this you get busted they add to your time in there of course so I'm, <laughs> so i'm like sitting on my barracks with my headphones on i brush my teeth real quick and when it's lights out after 10 p.m they, there's a red light it's not like a white light it's a red light it's not completely dark it's all red you know what i'm saying yeah and so i remember thinking to myself fuck dude i hope they don't catch me i hope i don't get busted i'm so fucking paranoid right now i don't want to fucking move i just gotta pretend like i'm asleep I was convinced I was going to get busted. They could smell it on me, but it was all good. Yeah. And wow. uh, yeah, I, I would do, I would not do that again. Yeah. That's wild, dude. Big hubs, dude. That's, that's, that's shit hard. That shit hard. I fuck with that. <laughs> I like that. Oh man. But uh, shit, bro. And uh, I think you had mentioned uh, you also got out, man. And uh, you had, you, you got shot as well, right? Like, was that before or after like you went into jail? No, that was after that. that was a few years after man, 2016 fucking hell bro and like how did that change your outlook on everything oh i mean to have a near-death experience man definitely made me more aware of my intention and helped to set me on a on a higher path and i would say uh it's a trip dude i mean there's an element of society that doesn't give a fuck about you know you know life and i would say a lot of the dudes on the street that are living that way you know, they would say themselves that they don't give a fuck about themselves, you know? So yeah. it's dangerous. I remember when it happened, man, and I decided to hit the gas. I was like, dude, I could give this, this motherfucker the fucking shit that he wants, which was 500 bucks worth of herb. Yeah. It was an ounce and a half of herb, dude, 500 right. bucks. And he might still blast me. Cause fucking lead. Don't leave a witness. Fucking. Why not? Fucking who gives a fuck? Literally. Literally. Cause yeah, yeah, literally, literally, literally. So, uh, so I'm like lucky someone to be pulled up on you and then and, and, like tried to rob you and and pulled a gun on you and shit and like you shot you in like a, in the fracas or in the, the the tussle or whatever. Oh, there was no physical altercation, bro. What happened was that I, I still drive the same car to this very day. I just had to replace Damn. the driver's seat because it was all bled, like really bled out. I really I bled out a lot uh. on that seat. But what happened was these motherfuckers. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say motherfuckers. I should just say. These cats who were looking to come up, you know, because again, it's just the game. It's the game yeah. that we choose to play. And I learned to re to let go of those hard feelings because, and I had an opportunity. Somebody had offered me, uh, you know, retribution in different ways. And I, and this is somebody that again does business with one percenters. Yeah. So I asked a friend of mine that I respect about this and what I should do, and he said, you know, it wasn't personal, so don't make it. You know, just leave it. You don't. You gain nothing by by having blood on your hands essentially. Right. So pretty much, uh, what happened was that there was a spot, there was a, this is on the East side of San Jose, the net, the, the worst side of San Jose and behind this, this shopping center, there's like a hoodie area and in the street where they said to meet up at the address didn't match up. So I was like, huh? And again, there's multiple things that were red flags. And I was like, I kind of, I just ignored him, dude. 
uh, you know, and that, and that's a lesson, you know what I'm saying? Trust your instinct for sure. Cause it could cost you. So when we, it's a plain as day, it was Friday, like one, two in the afternoon and because I was feeling suspicious. I had my car in drive already. You know, I just had my foot on the brake yeah. driving a, a 2016 Prius, man, a, a bright green Prius. So homie walks up to the passenger side, man, the passenger side of the car, I roll down the window. He's like, Oh, what's up, man? He's like, you're legit, right? You're legit. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, let me see your ID. So he shows, shows me ID, his ID. No, no, no. Actually, he's like, he's looking for his ID. He's like, well, check this out. And he pulls, he's got a strap right here. You know what I'm saying? So he's pulling his, his, his shit out and fucking. Check the mic. Check the oh, mic. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's pulling his strap out, you know what I'm saying? Like from his waistband. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, in moments like that, your mind your mind has a potential to work really fast and you go into like survival mode. For sure. And I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to just think to myself in that split second, like exactly what I said earlier, yo, this guy, even if I give him what he wants, <clears throat> he might still fucking kill me. Cause again, it's point blank range. It's hard to miss. Was and he then, in the car or was he just outside? He's standing car? right outside of the passenger side of the car. Passenger side. That's right. right outside, dude, right outside, dude. Yeah. Fuck. And, and fucking, I was like, I was like, and maybe this is a fake gun because at the end of the pistol, it was a 380, by the way. Uh, fucking the the sight at the end of the barrel was like orange. I remember it had like maybe just certain oh. size of it were orange. I was like, maybe it's a fake gun. But at that split second, I decided, dude, my best. I should just hit the gas, dude. So Get I, I just hit the gas, dude. And in that in that motion, you know, he had enough time to squeeze a shot. And I had my right hand driving. So yeah. Went here and it went all across my body. You know, I got a scar from here to here. It's a miracle that I'm alive for sure. There's a part of your liver that, if you if you if it gets pricked, there is no regeneration. Like you'll just bleed to death. And the bullet went millimeters from that from that part of your liver because it went through my liver. You know, uh, went through a rib, through a lung, fucking through my chest cavity, <clears throat> through my liver, and on top of my stomach. Christ. Uh, and so, uh, again, it's a miracle that I'm here. It was a two day operation. I was in the hospital for 12 days and then my crazy ass, I come home for a few days and I go back to making deliveries, dude. So you can imagine what that does to your partner and what it does to your family. And I just figured that dude, if I just keep it cool and like, just don't He's a project, baby. The hustle was in him, man. What are we going to no, do? No, but bro? I'm not a project, baby. No, I went to private school. My, my, you know what I'm saying? Like I, 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 I fucking just decided to go this route in my yeah. life, you know? And and I'm grateful for that because, yeah. you know, a project baby, I think, imagine imagine if you really think about that term, a project baby, you yeah. think that motherfucker got a lot of love? Probably not as a project baby, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. so so what I mean is going back to um, getting shot, you know, is uh, I would say that having that near-death experience and waking up with, uh, you know, after, after those surgeries and going back to making deliveries, uh I was able to keep myself safe because the day I opened up to make deliveries, I got like three or four shady fucking phone calls where these fools like word got out on the street and fools are ready to come up again. Like, fuck it. It ain't shit. You know what I mean? So um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And what I can say is that I'm grateful not to be traumatized in a way where I'm like totally not able to be myself. And I'm grateful to have the inner fortitude to be able to go through something like that and still be cool. Cause um, I will say that, it's ironic that a bullet would soften your heart. It's ironic that that something as traumatic as getting shot <clears throat> and almost dying from it 
in a violent way. Imagine dying at 35 years old, not in a car accident, not because a tree fell on you because you got shot to death. Fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's not that's not really exactly that good, right? So yeah, that's like and, murder, bro. Well, what exactly took your it, life? Right, and what what does that do to your family? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, them up oh, too. Yeah. Right. So to answer your question, I mean, I would have never thought that this would have this go surviving this and going back to the game would get me a level of respect with other operators that the respect isn't just based on that. Because once you get to know me, you know that I'm just like another committed operator. And that's what's elevating the game now in terms of, of legacy, you know, and I would say that <laughs> if you would tell me that I had to go through this to to become the person that I am today, I don't think I'd be I have the courage to. You know what I'm saying? If they said yeah. in a crystal ball, hey, in 2016, you're going to have to get shot and almost die to be like a successful person or to be a better version of yourself. Be like, Dude, I don't know if I could do that. You know, fuck. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'd probably be like, uh, is there any other way? <laughs> like, uh, but man, that's fucking respectable, though, dude. Because like for you to see that and as you say, the the bullet softened your heart. It's so almost like a, a bit of a, a contradiction, you know, but you're a living proof of it, man. And as you said, it was super close to being fatal. So it really puts a different spin on things and, you know, shows you exactly, you know, what's important. And I think that by, by going through some of that, you have definitely, I'm just sharing your story, man. You've definitely uh, inspired a lot of people on here. And that's something that I just wanted to, you know, say big ups to you for, man, and, and much respect, dude. Uh, one last thing I want to say actually about that story, I think you, oh, yeah. you forgot to mention was uh, the person who's who, the first person who found you after getting shot. Oh yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Well, yeah. I so think that's a pretty uh, a yeah. Pretty no, it's Rob's right. Story. Rob's right. So, you so know, true. I fucking hit the gas and I exit the parking lot and fucking there's a age old Vietnamese guy coming into the parking lot. I missed the car by millimeters, barely touched each other. You know, I'm, I'm going out. I make a right. I'm like, I'm gonna make a right and a right. After and wait, it, this is after you've been got shot. After being shot. After, after being, being shot, because I'm like, I just hear, I hit the gas and I hear the sound and I, I didn't feel nothing, dude. And yeah. I, I touch my hand once to my side, once I'm on the street and I'm like, fuck, it's full of blood. I'm like, dude, I can't die right now. I'm not going to die right now. I can't die right now. So I make a right. I make a right. And I'm not panicking. I'm, I'm just like, fuck, I'm going to drive. I'm just going to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to create space. And I'm, I'm on the freeway and I'm bleeding, dude. So I just got fucking shot, you know? So I'm starting to feel a little lightheaded and shit. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to make it all the way back to South San Jose from East San Jose. I was just thinking I'm going to make it to Good Samaritan Hospital. And uh, by coincidence, there's a, a hospital on the east side. I forget the name of it, you know, but the regional something regional center. Okay. But they have a trauma center that has to do with like shit, like getting shot, you know. So I ended up pulling, getting off the freeway, and I ended up in front of a panaderia. And I get uh, and so the first person I call was my friend, my best friend, you know, the homie that was slanging for me, fucking in jail, and fucking. I was like, bro, I got shot, dude. Fuck. And he's like, what are you gonna call me, man? Go call the cops. So he calls the cops and my other homie fucking jumps in this car, comes out on the scene and uh, the, I'll save that for a minute. But I fucking go in up and in my mind, I'm like, I can't be in the car. They're going to see the fucking I had a Pelican cooler full of like a quarter pound of herb jarred up. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to get busted, you know, because, you know, it's you just it's just gray area. Prop 215. It's like up to the yeah, discretion yeah. of the cop and shit. And I had my my my. Uh, paperwork straight and i had a polo shirt with a green walrus embroidered right here no tattoos i don't look like a gangbanger but i'm in there shot bleeding and i walk into the panaderia it's friday afternoon 
And you can imagine the the shock and the horror on people's faces. Hell, and I'm man. like, I'm like, yo, I, just need, I need some help. You know, if I can get some water, I just need some help. And I'm fucking like collapsing and shit. And I'm losing consciousness. And and uh, it was a lady that walked in that called the cops. But it was a cop that the last thing I remember before I lost consciousness was he applied pressure to my wound. And he asked me if I had anything in my pockets that he shouldn't be aware of, any weapons. And then I lost consciousness. You know what I'm saying? But it was an officer that helped to save my life. So it is significant it's significant because it's easy to say fuck the cops and at the same time it's an officer that did save my life and it is officers that put themselves in harm's wow. way so many times. And I think part of healing from the war on drugs is to understand that we're not like we're not enemies anymore, you know what I'm saying? Especially yeah. when it comes to um developing the legal side of things. So yeah, man, it was a crazy experience, man. I can't even yeah, even just talking about it, it's a trip and uh it's wild. It's wild. Like life's wild, bro. Jesus. Life's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, wow. That is intense, dude. And you're so right, man. A lot of people do say, I myself have said it, you know, countless times, fuck the police, fuck the ops and all that shit. But they are the first responders when it really comes down to it, man. And and that one can be the one that, you know, may save your life in some uh, some some sort of situation. So damn, bro, that, that just gets crazier and crazier, bro. Yeah, like, it's crazy. <laughs> Jesus. Man, and how long were you in the hospital for, you said? Uh, 12 days. I was in the hospital for 12 days, and I had to wear, like, this brace. Like, uh, you know, women wear those corsets. Yeah. But yeah. it was Velcro, and it was to keep the stitches. Yeah, <coughs> yeah you got to fucking. see for the camera, you know what I'm saying? But sort of. Yeah, you know, the bike's in the way. Kind yeah, of. I think you pull it the other way. A scar going straight down the middle, man. That, yeah, that's yeah. a gnarly scar, it's bro. faded more, so. They call it a California <laughs> zipper, you know. Unfortunately, a lot of guys, uh, it's mainly, like, you know, guys and gangs and shit or experience gun violence or I guess people in the drug game too, you know, but, um, you know, I've never been a violent dude. I never fucking carried a strap or a weapon. I've had close calls. I've definitely had close calls and I've avoided situations, but yeah. I didn't think I, didn't, I could never imagine the guy was going to, I was going to get shot. I thought maybe pull out a knife or just try to reach in and take it. That's what I was really honestly thinking. Mm. So I was willing to take the risk, but, uh, nah, man, I mean, that goes to show you that over 500 bucks, dude, I mean, it's Fucking just hell, bro. Yeah. I, and the life is definitely worth more than that 500 bucks, bro. And oh. what 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 was the, the last words that you said before you actually blacked out? You know, did you actually have that? You had that uh, that ounce of what, what was it? The eighth on you? Was it on you? Was anything on you? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't have any weapons on me. That's what he no, really any, wanted any to know. Flowers, though. Did you have any flowers? No, he, he left the car. That's why I had a fucking Pelican case full of weed yeah. in the car. That's why you, Jesus, that's why you yeah. Yeah, got, that's why you got away the from the car. Okay. I, yeah. I'm just well, of course, sure. of course, they saw it because there's tons of blood on the yeah, seat and it got impounded and it was held for evidence. And yeah, I was in the hospital not knowing if I'm going to get charged. And the detectives come and they get my side of the story. And I'm in the hospital. I was under armed custody, by the way. I was under armed protection when I when I went into the hospital and after I got shot because they didn't know what happened, you know. So they had armed security there, dude. Fucking, wow. and it was all kind of like secretive or like fucking. Hell. It was, yeah, it was crazy, bro. Yeah, yeah. So did they, they, they ever open the bag? Oh, they had all that shit as evidence, and then they yeah, said, "Fuck," yeah. you know. They heard my side of the story, <laughs> and so two things, man. It depends who you are if the cops are going to follow up on some shit that happened to you, by and large. Because, like, somebody that was in the game, the cops aren't stupid either, especially detectives. So what yeah. they did was is they, they questioned me. They didn't arrest me. They didn't charge me. They didn't take my shit. I got all my shit back. They figured this guy almost died. He's lucky to be alive. Yeah. Fucking what they didn't do 
is you didn't put much effort into capturing this motherfucker yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're like, fuck, you know, this guy's playing the game. Cops know the game too. Yeah. And this like, there's different guys that play the game. You know, there's yeah. bad guys, there's good guys on the dealer side, shady motherfuckers. They're not about to launch an investigation into. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so same thing with cops, you know, they're really practical and there's yeah. dudes that it's their nine to five. Other guys do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, all I'm saying <laughs> is I had a, my mom, my mom couldn't get over that. And, uh, Fucking, I would say that, yeah, man, I'm just grateful yeah, that life, though, I didn't you know? catch a like, case. Yeah, and you didn't catch and yet, yeah, and yet, yeah. <laughs> and I have my life, absolutely. I'm so, so fucking lovely, bro. yeah, bro, wouldn't be here. Wow, that is wow, man. That story is wow, dude. And huh, I love that that, that 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 you're just alive and here to tell it, and you know, able to share that inspiration with so many, dude. Uh, big ups, man. And shout out to, to homie for, you know, pointing out the most imperative part of the story, man. Who rescued you, bro? <laughs> you know, that's, that's my job around here, keeping things on track. I'm, yeah. No, I appreciate that. And I say the most imperative part of the story is to learn that, yeah. you know, uh, it shouldn't take a near-death experience to wake up from things that maybe you might feel guilty about, you know, ways that you know you're living wrong, you know, change certain things about your life. Um, and I would say that it's ironic. It's crazy. Cause I would not be the person that I am had that not happened to me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And, um, that, that's the For best, sure. best thing that I, and, and, and also to say that no matter what you're going through in life, there's a way to fucking learn from it and become a better person. You know what I'm saying? I got you 100%, man. Well, big ups, dude. And and I do want to talk about like, you know, uh, GW smoke break a little bit and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you got, I don't know if you guys, you know, got a head out or anything, but if you guys got like, you know, maybe 20, 30 more minutes, we can kick it for a little bit longer. How's that sound? Yeah, it's all good, man. Yeah. All good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Well, let's do it, man. Let's just uh, drop a quick clip for the sponsor, Diesel Dog Clothing. Definitely to check it out. Some Fly 420 gear, guys. <laughs> Yeah, dog. So let's talk about it, man. Uh, the GW smoke break, man. You, you, you were in the gray area. You had all these life changing experiences and stuff that definitely would have, like, you know, probably pushed you in a different direction, you know, and and probably changed your outlook on stuff. Uh, what was the moment, probably, you know, that that you would say you decided let's get into the legal side of things in terms of the the illegal industry. Uh, start GW smoke break. Uh, let's just take things to a different level in a different way. Well, first I want to say, my brother, that uh, you know, I went. I, that happened to me. And I went right back to slanging. That was a program. Right back to growing, <laughs> and fucking that didn't stop. And so, because I I've been a professional, I hang out with other professionals, and at the time, you know, it was all about evolving with the game. So that's why I was doing the deliveries. Prop two fifteen was thumping. You know, I kind of started off rather late in two thousand fourteen, and then Prop sixty four started in two thousand eighteen. And I knew that I wouldn't exist without being able to have like an equity program in San Jose for delivery service or a retail spot. So I was really fundamental in passing that. And I, and I was part, I helped to establish the team yeah. and, and helped to do my part in putting that together. But to answer your question and, and to how this um, is evolving is clearly, you know, the evolution of the game and how to remain a professional and evolve and adapt with the industry. And that's what became GW Smoke Break TV. So I would say that what I've I've happened to be lucky in my friendships and knowing things ahead of time when it comes to the cannabis industry. And I'm, I kid you not, yeah. you know, knowing things five, three to five, six years ahead of time. And, and that's no exaggeration. Yeah. So that's what gave me the, the heads up about the equity program. 
And by the time that 2018 rolled around and April of 2019 rolled around, <clears throat> you know, as a professional that's that's gets paid for breaking the law and outsmarting the law and, and living outside of the law, you have to stay on your game. You know what I'm saying? And you have to be able to adapt and so forth. So, you know, in this legal side of things, I I was observing the 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 moves that my friend Kevin Jodry was making. Okay. In terms of making a name for himself and speaking at at public engagements and um, starting to put his name out and coming out of the green closet in a way that not many people were doing at the time, really saying that, yeah, I am a fuck. I I, I am a criminal, basically. You know what I'm saying? I, I am a professional <laughs> hustler, career hustler, and fucking this is what it is. And he's yeah. really intelligent, and so. He's able to really mentally wrestle and and, and fucking um, present himself in a, in a in a manner that created opportunity for himself. And um, for me with GW Smoke Break, it wasn't about me though. It was with the understanding that yeah, this is going to be a byproduct. Is I'm going to be able to get my name out there. But more more importantly, it was the clear understanding that one could change change the trajectory of the commercialization of the industry, the corporatization of the industry by highlighting the culture of cannabis, which resides with legacy operators. And my idea was is to connect and create content and a space for the world to appreciate in, in what, I was been, what I've been exposed to, Humboldt County. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, what you see as a content now is the evolution since then, because I only knew Kevin um, for many years before I started GW Smoke Break. Um, so to answer your question, it, it was an evolution as a professional, and I would have never imagined that it would want to be my aspiration to do this full time because it was just like a side side thing. It wasn't a full time thing. Only until recently, I tell Ralph all the time that it's still hard for me. And think about it. I'm fucking 42, bro. So 17 years old, I put my mind to making money through weed. Yeah. That's that's all my adult life. That's a lot. It's like 25 years. So like even psychologically, and it feels so good. You wouldn't believe. <laughs> to start to think of content and being a content creator to be that main source of income. It's, it's, it's a sense of freedom and um, it, it's beautiful, you know, and yeah, that that's, yeah. So GW smoke break is, oh, is, 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 is something special, man. I'm really proud of it. And it wouldn't happen without Ralph a hundred percent. dude. Big ups to Ralph again, man, the, the man behind it all, man. And that's what I always tell a lot of people do. Like a lot of people uh, don't know that it takes a lot going into, you know, content creation, videography and all that stuff. And you need uh, a team around you. Sometimes if you don't have a team, uh, it can be a little bit difficult. So big ups, big ups, man. Cause you know, it, it, the team is only as good as the people in the team. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Yeah, definitely, man. Absolutely. 100 percent, man but, but, but what's the inspiration behind uh the the name gw smoke break you know i always ask people about the inspiration behind their name so how did the name come about what made you say you know gw smoke break tv yeah yeah so it was originally ganjie smoke break and then the ganjie program they pur they purchased that term from kevin jodry so now like they hold a license for it so i was politely asked to change the name and I had just spent like a thousand bucks, eight hundred bucks, a thousand bucks on that fucking dope ass GW Smoke Break logo, which you see behind you. Yeah. And fire. so I was like, dude, I'll be damned if I gotta fucking do a brand new one. So I was being creative, thinking, thinking, thinking. I was like, okay, Green Walrus, GW Smoke Break. So, well, so Green Walrus was the name of your yeah delivery. Green Walrus was the name of my oh. delivery service that I that I had. You know what I'm saying? So um, I would say that that's why it's GW and Smoke Break. It's just like, again, man, I've, I've had, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. You know what I'm saying? So I had a streetwear brand in 2008 is when I started that. 
And um, I fucking got busted and I still did it after that. And that's a whole nother story. But that gave me experience with branding and marketing and, and you. you know, uh, all that cool shit. But um, with GW Smoke Break, you know, I just happened to come up with that catchy phrase. And then we added the TV at the end. Um, but no, man, it's been a dream come true. And I'm just grateful for it, bro. It's like destiny kind of. Awesome, man. And having something like your brainchild, uh, it really, you know, changes your outlook on how you do shit. Like I use, I like to liken it to the example of an employee who's working for a big company or working for a McDonald's or whatever you want to call it, rather than them working for themselves. You know, when you consider this work, so to speak, you think about it all the time, man. You never are off the clock, truly. You know, you're always on the fucking clock. So uh, I think that that's a little bit of the distinction and that's sort of what drives you. And you guys are pu putting out a lot of great content. You guys have been putting out a lot of great content over the years, interviewing a lot of great people. You know, I've seen interviews with a lot of legacy farmers, a lot of farmers from Humboldt, a lot of farmers from Cali, uh, even with my uh, good friend Swami himself. Shout out to Swami. But uh, how has it been uh, interviewing all these people, you know, just seeing GSW Smoke Break, uh, GW Smoke Break TV transition from where it was to, you know, where it is now? Well, I could say on a production base, I mean, the original conception was just uh, basically just having interviews, right? I mean, I don't know if you had the original idea to go to like actual farms at the very beginning, Um but it was just doing straight up interviews. But then once like the whole thing of going out to a farm and visit and like kind of creating more of like a series, you know, not just doing interviews, not just a sit down, you know, just, you know, interview, but like actually go into places and, you know, go into different locations and, and really getting a sense of what people, you know, how they live and, and, and how they actually uh, cultivate this plant. That was definitely a big step up for sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I bring in what I can bring in, and and I we always just try to keep leveling up. I would say, and you know, we always want to improve on our equipment. Like, you know, all this stuff was you know based basically through like the Patreon. Uh, so that that's like really dope. You know, some some YouTube money. You know, like it's not a whole lot, but you know, some you know, there's some there's some accumulative. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely say, guys, check out their YouTube channel. They've been posting some really fire quality production interviews you know not just recently but over the last three years like if you look at this one right here up at the top 94k views and it's been out three years ago man and that's a dope ass interview with one of the industry legends you know kevin jodry so yeah uh, exactly. you guys have been doing this for a while and big ups to you guys on that front man but for those who don't actually know you know exactly what a legacy farmer is you know anything about the term legacy can you just break that down for them yeah, hundred percent, man. Uh, well, again, to answer your question, also to add on to what Rolf said, it's beautiful to connect one on one with operators. Now, global is the focus, and yeah. I would say that it makes the content special because it's like two surfers talking to each other versus like Dan Rather's and a surfer, yeah. and it allows for just the vibe to really just be something beautiful and different. And um, I find it a blessing, you know, that that human connection too is something that as operators we've often isolated ourselves to get the job done. So. Sure. I've seen that reciprocated as well. Um, and then uh, the question that you asked, I'm sorry, right now? About legacy growers, just for those yes. who don't know exactly it, what yeah, that is. Absolutely. So what I would say a legacy grower is, man, it's it's a way to say that somebody's coming from the traditional market. And within the traditional community, within the cannabis community, we really want to – there's two things that I would say. 
I would say that to me, a legacy grower, like, oh, am I a legacy grower? I would say that clearly it's somebody whose main source of income is growing fucking weed. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like that's, that's what they're doing full time. There's no fucking, I do this on the side and you know, it's just like full, full blown. And it could be indoor, it could be outdoor. It doesn't matter if it's in Humboldt, if it's in anywhere, it could be anywhere LA, in the world, anywhere, yeah. LA. And yeah. it usually implies you're doing of- it illegally. You know what I'm saying? It usually, yeah. it usually implies you're doing it at a level that's fucking um, professional. It's your main source of income and you're not doing it you've you've been doing it since it was illegal you know what i'm saying and then what i would say now like a legacy grower i think what it will become is is this is we survived the war on drugs we survived uh legalization to drug war 2.0 which is prop 64 yeah so if we look at the word legacy it's like it means what what is matt's legacy what is daniel's legacy what is rolf's legacy and that is achieved later on in your career, even after you pass, right? So for many of our, our farmers in our community, I believe that a legacy grow will, will mean the success of holding on to these values and the identity and the culture and leaving that legacy of, yes, we helped to bring this forward. We held it intact. Yeah. And we're leaving something behind for, for my family, for my community, something that will live on. And, and, and I think that's a legacy to, to me, you know what I'm saying? On that other, in that separate context. Yeah, no, I got you, man. And I think that sums it up perfectly. And it also sums up uh, the importance of the legacy farmers, you know, and a lot of the legacy farmers out in California, from what I've seen, they're actually going through a lot of difficult times right now. You know, there's a lot of uh, pain, especially when it comes to the the regulations, the sales, uh, the taxes, everything. A lot of um, products is literally just going to waste. They're just throwing it away into the chipper. I'm talking perfectly good flour uh, and uh can you just expand on that a little bit because i know that you're out there and you would have probably seen and interviewed a lot of these uh farmers 100 well i will say that uh this is what i will say i will say that the legal system is doing its motherfucking best to collapse the small farmer in the california (laughs) cannabis industry and i will also say that corporate america has never had a fucking nemesis an adversary source of competition than the marijuana farmer why you might ask because guess who grew up outside the system guess who didn't go to normal high school and your fucking yales and your stanford's exactly the minds are wired so different that it's through the culture that authenticity that we're pushing back and the ancillary opportunities that are going to be presented as this industry involves into sectors like tourism which are the economic driving forces of regions across california like as an example my brother uh, San Francisco's economy, the number one economic driver before COVID is fucking tourism. So again, what I think, so to, to, I'm not trying to counter what you're saying. You're right. There's a lot of economic pain and economic suffering and emotional suffering as well to the point where there's been suicides in the community. Just as you, when you study farming as a profession, yeah. it can be tough. You know, you, yeah. like how do you provide for your family? And I'm not in that. I won't suppose that you might feel like a failure, this or that. I'll just say that times are tough to your point. However, at that same token, the resiliency of this community, it's only going to add to the legend because they're not going to take everybody out. And the the perception that, um, well, again, I'll say two things. The perception that this is going to be a complete domination of craft cannabis. Fuck no. Commercial cannabis, they can have it. As cannabis tourism develops, again, those ancillary opportunities, we all have secondary skill sets Mm -hmm. to present to the people as quality experiences 
of the authentic California cannabis experience in this case, the authentic Trinidad and Tobago experience. So yeah. I'm not going to go to Trinidad and Tobago and, and Tobago, excuse me, and, and eat a cheeseburger and fries. I'm going to eat something culturally and nice and be fucking welcomed by a real man or a woman from there. I can there, take not- you out I, and I can show you some <laughs> cultural foods, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, uh, we were talking about... Uh, well, the last ahead, thing I'll add on that is the whole thing of like, you know what you're saying it's like damn there's some perfectly good bud just going to waste and stuff and yeah well i think also what's going to go along with that too is just the the knowledge the education you know shows like us shows like you shows like you know that are trying to push craft cannabis the more people learn about it they're going to want to demand it you know it's simple yeah. supply and demand stuff you know it's just people just need to know that they want it you know and right now what they're getting offered is just you know, I went to a dispensary recently and it's just like it is. It's very all just super commercial, like not super you know, commercial. And it's yeah. not very, very few just like, um, um, you know, smaller farms, smaller operators. You know, it's all these big grows, the glass houses, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I think the more people learn about like cra- like craft, they're going to want to they're going to want it and they're going to want to demand it, I think. I think 100%. I think what they, what's also they know to a certain degree because they have think tanks. We're talking about the smartest people. We heard about, I think it was Cure Leaf or True Leaf where the Russian oligarch was secretly investing in this. Roman Abramovich, man. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, so I know that. <laughs> check it out, man. The yeah. game is deep, right? And, and, and so D-A-F, like. AF, bro. <laughs> but what I'm saying is when when wow. everybody goes this way, sometimes the G thing is to go the opposite direction. Yeah. And uh, to Rolf's point, I keep on fucking slipping right now. What's the last thing you you said real quick? Education. Just letting people know that they got to, you know, if once they know that, like, the craft is the way to go, what they're getting currently right now is just being is just weed that's being churned out by, you know, uh, big old fucking multi acre lots. That are not using like the most yeah no no, no absolutely practices in terms I remember of, yeah okay, no no thank you thank you <laughs> no, no no so so again I think again even though they they really try to put like the CIA man the Central Intelligence Agency they want to know everything and that's the art of war it's like if you know yourself yeah. you know your enemy you're gonna win all your battles so what they I think they really don't realize is they're creating superheroes within the cannabis community within the craft community cultural icons that as history develops in the years to come really exposing the fuckery that was the onset of legal cannabis, requiring that farmers up in the triangle by and large across California, that they front product to start the supply chain and for them not to get paid back from the very beginning and all this problem after problem after problem. I think that we're also going into a place of like, when we were younger, man, it was bling bling and materialism. Whereas now times are changing and, and money isn't as impressive. Money doesn't go as far as growing your own food and having a real quality of life instead of a Gucci fucking purse. So, um, it's, it's a beautiful time to be alive and we are part of this change. And I would say that, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's social revolution, which is, which is on the cusp here. And the most beautiful thing is what I want to tell, share with your audience and, and with you, man, is that it's all about, being inclusive across the world and showing that in California, we're proud of who we are, but we're not here to want you to be like us. I don't want, I don't want to go to South Africa in April and, and give them the impression that they need to be like me, like, like Americans. We want to honor and respect the South African people, people around the world to be proud of your roots, proud of your heritage, proud of your history, proud of your culture. And that's how we're going to create a global craft community and push 
back against the corporate fuckery because all they do is look at the plays in Cali and want to duplicate it. And we can get a step ahead of that by having conversations like this, communication like this. And it's easy. It doesn't cost much. It's free. And one thing as a professional operator, and I've told Rolf this, it's like I literally like to turn things on its head. So it's like you're wrestling somebody and like you literally see the guy dip the motherfucker on his head. You know, it's like you, you can turn things on its head by being creative and, and thinking and thinking and thinking. So, yeah, my brother, it's just a beautiful time to be alive and I'm Hell grateful yeah. for it. Hell yeah. What a magnificent way to sum it all up, man. And I think that the craft farmers are super important as well. Uh, just tasting the quality and the difference, you know, between the craft and the commercial stuff. Uh, to your point, man, it's absolutely true. You know, I head up the dispensaries and you get some of that super commercialized flour. There's just no love or care in it. You know, it's it's almost trimmed down so much that you can't even see the actual trichomes anymore. You can't see nothing on there. You know, it's it's just smells a little frowsy sometimes. Uh, and that's just all the commercialization of it man yeah. so uh that's why you really need to support your local craft farmers you know when no matter where you're at uh just support them you know 100 man 100 man hey. it's the the heart and, and lifeblood of the culture you know what i'm saying during prohibition during the war on drugs it was growers yeah. all around the world that were bringing us the plant yeah. and i'm just gonna really enjoy again as the dust continues to settle for the world to really appreciate um those uh those within the community for who they are yeah facts man 100 percent. well guys i think we've touched on a lot of different stuff today man yeah. and uh <laughs> from from some crazy stories you know life-changing stories turning it all around and creating something successful blossoming beautifully out of it man uh respect to both you guys because you know it's a team effort but before we actually close off man for everyone watching if they want to tune into you guys see what you guys got going on maybe reach out to you guys hit you guys up and chat with you guys where can they do that bro GWSB.tv, uh, check out our link tree. Uh, there's a link on our YouTube homepage or IG uh, bio, our homepage there, and it'll take you to our uh, Patreon channel, um, our Discord. Mm -hmm. um, what else, Rolf? I think that's about it. We got merchandise on our website. We got, we got gear available on our website. Yeah, I, I don't you know. This up. Most definitely, man. Socials. And definitely check out their YouTube channel. They, they got a lot of great interviews on there, a lot of great stuff going on. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in, man. Thank you guys for hopping on and kicking in with us. I know this episode was a little bit longer, uh, but really appreciate you, appreciate you guys. Yeah, if I can say one last thing, my brother, is oh, I, yeah. I definitely want to be the person that I am and GW Smoke Break wouldn't be the platform that it is without the influence of of the women in our industry. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. particularly, I want to give a shout out to Ayana Gregori over at Humboldt Synchronicities. And fucking, I would encourage all us guys that are growing the plant, really honor the plant, that feminine energy, the bud, you know, we say honor the goddess to really reexamine how, you know, how we can empower our, the woman in our spaces. And I believe that the, the future is going to be led by women in terms of the social revolution, cannabis culture. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's mysterious in some ways, but that's, that's what I wanted to close on. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate that, man. Big ups. And any last words, dude? Nah, man, just thanks for having us on. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you all for watching. And yeah, give us a follow. And, you know. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Most definitely, man. Well, on behalf of everyone that's tuned in right now in the live premiere, man, and on behalf of the thousands that'll watch it afterwards, man, thank you guys for coming on, sharing those stories, those inspirational ass motherfucking stories that definitely will change someone's life right now as they're listening to this podcast, man. So thank you guys. And uh, don't forget, smash the like button, hit that bell, and most importantly, stay high and stay fly. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace, fam. <laughs>